here in the middle. I'm not sure if that says something about everybody else or something about me. <laughs> I wouldn't have a problem with that if everybody wanted to come into the middle. Actually, that might help because we're going to do something a little bit interactive, and it might be helpful if we can all hear each other. What? Hey, I have an advantage. I have a microphone. So if we could all kind of scoot toward the middle. And go to the old Verizon commercial. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yeah, I know, how, I know how we Baptists are, but we ain't never sat there before. <laughs> uh-huh. Did you mess with them on purpose? Yeah. Yeah. But see, I, as a pastor, I do that stuff to our church all the time. Like, I'll change how the seating is configured in the auditorium. And when people come in on Sunday morning, it is so much fun to watch. I'm like, where's my place? Where's my place? I don't know where to sit. Yes, ma'am. I think what we're going to do is afterwards, we have enough people, we can put the uh, stage in the back. <laughs> oh, did you? Okay. Okay. Well, great. Well, what I'd like to do, we've got about a half an hour of time left, and um, I know on Sunday in the morning we had mentioned the possibility of, if there were any questions, that folks could ask questions, and we would try to answer them as best as we could, and we did not get to that somehow on Sunday night. I don't know how it just kind of fell through the cracks. So I double-checked, and he said that would be fine if we did that tonight. And then if we've got some time left over, I've got some things out of Genesis I can share with you. So with that being said, I almost feel like we should show the video again so the questions can all be refreshed. Uh, and I'm just kind of rambling now to give you a time to come up with your questions that you might have. I did actually uh, write Pastor Monday and ask him if he had any questions from a pastor's, pastor's perspective. And so I've got a couple of questions from him if we get into a lull. So uh, if you have a question about Germany, about missionary life in Germany, uh, about what it's like to be a 10th grader in Germany, uh, you can direct those to Levi. Uh, any questions at all about ministry in Germany or whatever interests you? Yes, ma'am. Like the everyday uh, ministry obstacles? Ministry obstacles. Um, okay. Julia's wheels are turning on this too, I hope. Uh, I think a lot of the ministry obstacles are the same as here in the States. There's a lot of lethargy and apathy toward the things of God. So when you're trying to reach people, there's, a, there's more of a layer of religion in Germany. Uh, but there's still a lot of, you know, religion is separate from my real life. It's just like a layer we put over the top of things. So when you talk to people and approach them about the gospel or approach them about their need for Christ, um, sometimes it's very hard to break through that wall. So that's, that's kind of a hindrance and an obstacle. Do you have any thoughts you might want to add to that? I'm going to give Julia a mic. Is that okay? I'm going to give her the red mic. and turn. Yeah. This is, this is uh, something that actually came to thought as you were, you were saying that. Uh, Germans are hyper-insured. Like, they insure everything. There's, uh, you have car insurance. Of course, they're the healthcare system. Uh, but you also have, like, liability insurance for your kids. Uh, there's, like, a family insurance that you pay for. So they're, they're always thinking ahead, like, what can I insure? How can I cover any problems that might pop up? And it's crazy to me as 
thoughtful as they are about those things, how little they think about eternity. And they really have that attitude of, I'll see when I get there, and I'll figure it out when I die how God really is. And so to, to us, I mean, it just kind of boggles my mind with how Germans are. And so that's it's an interesting thing. And it really is. Like, we have to have insurance. Th- th- that kind of insurance is actually in case you go into a store and your kid breaks something, that's all insured and covered. Or if, if your kids are scrapping at school and break the other kids' glasses, you have insurance for that. Like, literally everything is insured in Germany. So... So yeah, I guess we just need to pray that the Lord would tug on hearts and draw people and allow us to reach people and, and motivate them to think about things in an eternal light. Yeah. And both an obstacle and also an opportunity is the foreignness of any religion outside of the state religion, which is either Catholic or Protestant and so, or Lutheran. So, um, so when you say you're an independent or a Bible-believing church, the first question is, what is that? I mean, if you're not Catholic and you're not Lutheran, (laughs) where do you fit in my plan? And uh, so those questions are always the very first questions that come up. Yeah. Good question. Yes, ma'am. Uh, yes. <laughs> there are a lot of uh, church religious holidays that would be... Now, now, from area to area in Germany, they're different. Like the Lutheran areas have their own holidays, and we have, in our Catholic area, we have our own holidays. So, so one, I don't know if I mentioned this on Sunday or not, there's the Ascension of Mary Day. So the Catholic Church teaches that Mary was bodily taken to heaven. Uh, and so that is, uh, it's not a full national holiday, but in our area of the country, it's a holiday and everything is closed. School is off. Banks are closed. Yes. Uh, Ascension of Christ Day would be another one. Uh, what are some other holidays you can think of? Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, Sunday and Monday. Christmas, we have a first day of Christmas and a second day of Christmas. And those are both holidays where everything is closed. Yeah. On Easter, you have Easter Sunday. Uh, Good Friday is actually like the most somber holiday in German culture, and everything is closed on that Friday. Uh, Monday is Easter Monday. Everything is closed on Easter Monday as well, which now I'm just kind of rambling because I'm having all these thoughts. Uh, that presents some interesting problems for us. Uh, with We're used to America, so you can go shopping. You can get your groceries whenever you want. When we first got to Germany, we have a little store in our town, a grocery store. It's the closest store. Uh, otherwise, we'd have to drive like, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes to Regensburg. Uh, that store was open until 8 o'clock. No, 6, six o'clock, o'clock. 6 o'clock in the evening. So from 8 to 6, that store was open. If you forgot to get your stuff before 6, you're out of luck. Saturdays, they were open till noon. And of course, they're closed on all the holidays. So if you have a Sunday, they're closed on Sunday as well. So if you have a Monday holiday and you didn't get to the store before noon on Saturday, you're just, you have to either make it through or go drive. Well, you can't even drive anywhere because all those stores are closed. All the stores are closed. So you have to do a little bit more planning around the the hours that places are open. In your video, Mm -hmm. there weren't any, there weren't that many cars. Uh, Where, okay, uh, you're talking probably about the first part of the video where all the people were. Yeah. That was in the pedestrian zone of the city. Uh, It is a car culture, not quite to the extent of the United States, but every large city... Uh, has a pedestrian zone where cars really aren't allowed. There'll be public transportation or maybe taxis in there, but it's just an area for pedestrians to be and do their shopping and 
uh, that's the historic part of town usually. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I, it w maybe, maybe I can show it to you at the end on my computer, or I can send you a link to it as well. I have that available, okay? Do you still have the file? Are you all interested in that again? Oh, look at him. Oh, we got to start the screens and stuff, though, don't we? Oh, they're already running. Okay, should we do that? <laughs> Seven and a half minutes. Has, has everybody seen it besides you? Or? Oh, I don't have the thumb drive here. It's at home. Okay. Okay. I will send you a link later if you give me your email address. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It'll be at the beginning of next. Okay. Good. Good. And <laughs> yeah. So, any other questions? Let me just pepper one in. Then, did you have a question? Okay, you were holding the mic up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Pastor Monday asked the question: How hard is it to get a visa? Which is a good question. Uh, for us, remarkably, it was the easiest thing we've ever done. We hear horror stories about places where missionaries go and they have trouble getting a visa. Um, and it has been changed a little bit over the years, the rules for getting a visa, but we, the city of Regensburg was extremely helpful to us. We just go in, we ask what we need for the visa. Uh, we have to prove insurance. We have to prove that we're financially provided for from out of country because they don't want us taking German jobs. Uh, and we just fill out their little list of things. We go down there and generally four to six weeks later, we have the visa in hand. The first visa is a one-year visa. After that, they start giving you two-year visas. And the last time, I think they gave us a four-year visa. So, And sometimes the rules change. Uh, as you may know, homeschooling is illegal in Germany. So there was one set of visas. We actually had to bring a letter from the local school saying that our kids were enrolled in the school uh, in order for us to get our visa. So it's one of the few countries in the world, and I think the only country in Europe where it's completely verboten. So homeschooling is very difficult. Well, it's impossible in Germany. Uh, and along those lines, um, I just lost my train of thought. The visa, what was he asking about? Oh, the job. Uh, the other question he asked is if it's possible for us to work on the economy. Uh, because of the kind of visa that I have, which is a religious worker's visa, I'm not allowed to work. So I have to be fully supported from the states. And our family wasn't allowed to work at first. One day we went in and renewed our visas, and we came out, and he didn't say anything to us, but we looked at the back, and it said, Erwerbstätigkeit erlaubt, which means they're allowed to work. Mine didn't say that, but Julia's and the kids did. So we're like, oh, that's cool. They give the kids a work permit. So I think Beth and Caleb at that point got paper routes and did little things to earn a little bit of money. Two years later, we went to get our visas renewed, and uh, he looked at our visas, and he says, we gave you work permits by mistake. They're not supposed to have that. And I said, but they've already got a paper route job. Like, what's going to happen here? And he was the head of the department, so he got to thinking about it. He says, you know what? You're right. They should be able to get a job if they want to. They can have it. Stamped it for us, and uh, they kept working. Uh, and actually, Julia has been able to, because of that, she has some English as second language courses that she teaches at the community college. It's not a lot of money, but it gives us opportunity to connect with the community and make some contacts and uh, to let people know about the church. So that's been a blessing. Yes, ma'am. What is the economy like? What is the economy like? What's the economy like? Uh, Germany has been one of the pillars of the European economy. Uh, back when the United States went through a recession, I think the entire world did to some extent. 
but the German economy is pretty solid right now. It's very automotive-driven because of all the car makers. You've got a Volkswagen, a Volkswagen, BMW, which has a factory in our city. Uh, Mercedes is there, Porsche, Audi. We have a guy in our church that works at the Audi factory. Um, but it seems to be going pretty well, and pretty much I think Germany and France are what is holding Europe together right now, financially speaking. Good question. Yes, ma'am? What are the differences between a German school and like a regular U.S. school? Ah, Bethany, are you wanting to answer this one? Um, so German schools are very, very much more into education, which sounds weird, but there's no extracurricular activities. There's nothing on the side for kids to do sports-wise. It's, it's all just education. So we have a shorter school day. It's 8 to 1. But it's very much like a college lecture base, so the, the teacher is only there to present the material. It's your responsibility to learn it. So you only have school to one, but you come home and you have hours of homework. And um, you start high school in fifth grade. Um, and depending on your GPA in fourth grade, you go to a, an above average high school, an average high school, or below average high school. Um, so if you have an A average, you go to the higher one. And depending on which one of those you go to, you graduate at 12th grade for the above average, 10th grade for the average, or um, ninth grade for the below average. And depending on what you do, you then go into different apprenticeships and uh, blue collar jobs, obviously, for the, the lower graduating ones. So it's, it's very much a segregated kind of system by your grade point average. And if you fail a grade, you drop down to the lower school. But you can't really raise up to the higher school. Um, and so yeah, it's very separated. You pick a major in seventh grade. That kind of determines what kind of jobs you can get after high school. So it's very, like I said, very education driven. If you don't show up to school um, and your parents haven't called you in sick, they'll actually call the police to go see where you are. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Germans, Germans take their education very seriously. And actually the corner of Germany that we're in is kind of the academically more advanced part of Germany. It's the school is very difficult. Um, Beth and Caleb both, well, Levi just graduated from 10th grade as well. Uh, so he'll have his experience in U.S. school this year. But when we came back five years ago, Beth and Caleb had just graduated from 10th grade, went directly from that into our Christian school, 12th grade, and it was, like, remarkably easy for them. Like, they, they both got very high scores on their ACTs, really without any preparation, because the German academic system is really just advanced. So... We try to educate the masses. Right. We try to educate the masses. Right regardless of their abilities. Right. And there's, I mean, there are some good points in both systems. We've always said probably a combination of the two would be good. The German, what, what Bethany said is exactly right. The German teacher is there. She gives the information and you just, it's your responsibility to learn it. If you didn't listen, you have to go back and get it yourself or figure it out. And I think in the American system, everything is incumbent on the teacher to make sure the child learns. The German system, it's incumbent on the child to learn. So I think a combination of the two would be great, but just, it, is, it is a lot different. Yeah. Any questions anywhere else? I can throw in another one here from Pastor Monday. Uh, he was asking about the cost of living, how much is rent, insurance, health care, groceries, all that sort of thing. Uh, it's just varied. Uh, some things are a lot more expensive. I would say rent is probably comparable to the state's. Um, Insurance, of course, as a missionary family, we have to kind of pay our own self uh, for the health care insurance. That's very expensive. That's like the major part of what we have to raise. Um, gasoline is insanely expensive. 
So a few years ago, my dad was fussing, you know, gas is creeping up in price and just talking about how much it was per gallon. And I think at that point, we were paying 7 or $8 a gallon. Uh, during the recession, when the euro was just killing the American dollar uh, and the gas prices were high, too, we were paying around maybe a little bit above $10 a gallon for gas. So you think very carefully about where you drive. Uh, and at the time, we were thinking very carefully about how fast we drive. Because <laughs> in Germany, you can drive as fast as you want. And it's expensive. Of course, your gas mileage is worse. So some things, it's, it's just really a mixed bag. Groceries, what would you say? Groceries are probably, uh, meat is more expensive, but all the other groceries from yeah. what I've seen are comparable or even a little cheaper yeah. than, depending on where you shop, everyone knows that. But right. of course, Aldi is cheap, but it's cheap here too. <laughs> yeah, and a, a lot of times it has to do on where the euro rate is at that point. So uh, Another thing about shopping in Germany that we enjoy uh, is the tax. Now, don't get me wrong, we don't enjoy paying the tax. There is a, a value-added tax, 19% on anything you buy across the board. That's like the state tax on everything. But uh, it's always built into the price. So you don't have to go figure up at the cash register what you're going to pay. What you see on your price is what you pay. Uh, so you can kind of figure out, based on your euro, how that's going. So that makes some things easier. What about the... What about their um, morals mm -hmm. like and values? You know, like our country, we're just kind of going down with a lot yeah. of things. And I was wondering, where do they stand on a lot of those issues? Um, do you have any specific issues that come to mind? Um, well, like drugs. Okay. You know, how we're legalizing everything, it seems, you right. know. And, um, yeah, abortion okay. stuff. Okay. Um, Germany is a very progressive country. We're actually in the conserv more conservative side of Germany, so uh, I would say at least the traditional values are in place to some degree. But if you take Germany as a whole, it is a very progressive liberal country. Okay. Um, as far as drug legalization, Bethany might know more than me. As far as, I don't, I don't think marijuana is legal. Right. It's, it's, it's like... Right, that's normal. As far as moral issues, right. It's that, and that's, that's where I thought you might be going with it. Um, yeah, it's being pushed very hard into school as well. I, I almost think America is kind of leading on the cutting edge of that right now, if, if you can call it the cutting edge. Uh, but it is in Europe as well, and gender mainstreaming is what they call it, uh, is being taught and pushed through in the public school system. Uh, Julie, you may have a little bit to add to that. Um, I think here uh, teachers are taught to teach specific things about that. I don't know that in Germany it's quite that way, but um, acceptance is the key word in yeah. all of that. And so um, acceptance has tolerance, been, yeah. tolerance, uh, has been kind of the key word in all of that. Uh, and that's a pendulum that kind of swings both ways. A lot of times you hear tolerance, but only really one opinion is tolerated. Our experience has been they preach tolerance and talk about tolerance, which means like in the school, and this is an interesting thing about the school system, um, when you are enrolled in a public school in Germany, you also have to go to religion class. So when you sign your child up for school, there are three religion classes you can take. One is Catholic religion class, the other is Lutheran religion class, and the other one's called ethic, uh, which is... I. I just call it humanism, is what it is. You know, they do deal with issues, how to deal with people, but it's for the people that are non-religious. And you have to put your kid into one of those three. Uh, we always chose the Lutheran track 
because at least in the lower grades, they basically just taught Bible stories. There wasn't any issues with the content. And then in the older classes, they do teach some other things, but because of tolerance, they would also allow the students to state their viewpoints. And I remember our kids would come home and say, you know, we were able to talk about creationism or speak about the Scripture, how we stand on certain issues. And a teacher would allow it because they have an open, tolerant, tolerant mindset. So it kind of swung both ways in that area. But as far as the morals, uh, it is a more liberal, progressive society. It's Europe. And... Uh, Abortion is legal, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I have another question here from Pastor Monday. He said, what does a typical church service look like? I love this question. So our service, we have a Sunday morning service. Uh, our service starts at 1030 in the morning, and we are rarely done before 12, so at least an hour and a half in service. We only have the one service on a Sunday, so the kids will stay in for the first part of the service. We generally sing five or six songs, uh, and we'll have a prayer time where we collect prayer requests. Uh, we'll generally have a prayer time after the message. Sometimes it's in, a, in what we call a full program, the first part of the service. Then we'll dismiss the kids out. They'll go to their Sunday school children's church class time, and we'll have a regular sermon time. Uh, after our service is done at around 12 or 12.15, we all get back together, and we have coffee and cake in the kitchen area, and we'll generally stay about two hours maybe for that. It's a rare Sunday that we get home or done with things by 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And then after that, everybody goes to their homes, and they eat. We don't have an evening service. A lot of our folks drive uh, half an hour, 35 minutes, and Germans, it's surprising they drive that distance for one service. It, it wouldn't work really for a second service. So we've got that. And then on Wednesday, we've got a Bible study. Generally, every Tuesday or every other Tuesday morning, we've got a ladies' Bible study and prayer meeting. Uh, Fridays, we have a teen program. And we've just started, since we, actually, since we've been back in the States, we've started our kids' program back up. All of our kids had grown up into the teen group. And now we've got a second wave of kids growing up in the church. And we're, they're old enough now to start the kids' program again. So that's where we are with the ministry. Average attendance, we run between 60 and 75 right now on a Sunday morning. Yep. Just an interesting thing, back to abortion. Abortion is legal in Germany, but it's not paid for by the healthcare system. Yeah, the, a lot of times, Levi said they'll travel to Eastern Europe to get the abortion just because it's cheaper, because it's not paid for by the governmental healthcare system. Right. No. no, no, that's an American. Yeah. Which mom would have an experience with? Um, it's legal, but it's very hushed. It's not something people are proud of. And I, I know here it's kind of a, I'm a feminist. I got an abortion. They kind of, it's kind of like a badge of honor here. In Germany, it's not at all. They, they're big on birth control, I guess, more, and big on sexual education in the high school. Um, it starts earlier, which doesn't make for a lot of teen pregnancies. It's a very rare occurrence, and if it does happen, it's kind of a hush thing, like nobody really knows about it, so it's not as big of a deal as it is over here because of those reasons. Right. Good. Maybe time for one more. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think our ministry is a little bit different, although I guess I don't know what a pastor does here in the States. <laughs> no, not really. 
We spend a lot of time, a lot of my time in ministry is spent in one-on-one discipleship. We've had several, several people come to Christ in the last couple of years, and we've had a philosophy of we need to train them, get them grounded in the Word of God. A lot of times people will get saved here, but they've got some amount of biblical knowledge. And in Germany, a lot of times you're just getting a blank canvas or what they learned in the Lutheran or Catholic Church growing up. So there's not much there. And so for a time we were doing uh, different materials to teach them. And maybe two or three years ago, we kind of shifted in our philosophy of how we're doing it. Our goal as a church is when people come to Christ and get baptized, we want to teach them to observe all things, and we want them to become a part of the local church. And so years ago, when we started the church, we had worked through a doctrinal statement for the church. So this is what we believe, and I taught a series of Wednesday nights. We went through all of the doctrines of the church. I said, well, we've got all these things that are already laid out. Why don't we just teach through our doctrinal statement? And so I've been doing that over the past couple of years, and the Lord has just really blessed it. Uh, we've got several, several people that we r- meet with regularly every week. Uh, and so a lot of time is spent with personal one-on-one Bible studies. Uh, of course, we take care of the teen group. It's a small church, so we do a lot of the other things that maybe some churches would have more staff for. Uh, music in the church, pretty much I'll take care of that. Um, and then uh, we do a lot of counseling as well. So it's, it's a varied schedule. We have some appointments that are the same from week to week, but a lot of times it's just kind of upended. Good question. If you have any more questions, feel free to let me know. Uh, We also, of course, do a prayer letter. Uh, I forgot to mention this on Sunday. If you're interested in getting our email prayer letter, uh, come see me or Levi or Julia or Bethany and give us your name and email address, and we'll make sure you get added to that. And we try to send those out three, four times a year, our updates. Okay? Uh, Let's, we've got just a few minutes left. I don't want to take a long time and preach the whole sermon because then we'd be here till, I don't know, three, four hours. We're used to that in Germany. Uh, I used to tease our church all the time about, this is going to be a short message today, kind of the American mentality, get in, get it done, get out. And I understand most American churches will have an evening service to get back to. So I would tease about it a lot. And finally, I had a lady in our church. She's a Russian-German lady. She came to me after service one day. She said, Pastor Keith, you need to stop saying that. We need you to know when we come to church, we don't come to leave right away. So preach as long as you want. And I said, thank you. Amen. (laughs) So Genesis chapter 3. I just want to talk for a couple minutes this evening about questions. I kind of mentioned this on Sunday morning in the message, and I guess if I had to describe it, I would describe it as a thread that was sticking out that I just want to pull on a little bit tonight. So questions. Questions are cool things. I'm probably about to ask you some questions. So how many questions do you ask every day? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what are the questions that we ask every day? Or what do you want to eat for dinner? I hear that question from time to time. And a lot of times the answer to a question is a question. I don't know. What do you want to eat? Where are we going to go to eat? But we hear questions. We bump into them. Like, what is your name? We hear that a lot because, you know, we Americans in Germany. And, of course, we get, your last name is Klaus? That's a first name. How did you get the last name of Klaus? And so I have the opportunity to explain that. Uh, we hear that all the time at Passport Control. What is your name? What is your purpose? Why are you here? That kind of thing. How old are you? From time to time we hear that question. We usually don't like the question, but something we run into. Uh, how does this dress look on me? Does this dress make me look fat? Questions that should never be answered. Um, what time is it? Uh, we've heard this question a lot in the past few weeks. We've been driving all over the country, so how much further? 
You ever run into that on a long trip? Although my kids are old enough now, they don't ask it that often. But like, what time are we going to get there? Where's the next bathroom stop? Uh, what does it cost? How are you doing? Questions are cool things. Questions are how we find out information. And uh, I used to teach 7th and 8th grade in our Christian school in Alabama. Uh, yeah, Wesley, I love 7th and 8th graders. They're a lot of fun to be around. And I always taught my kids there's no such thing as a dumb question. And then I found out there are some dumb questions that people ask. Uh, and generally, we, we would call it a dumb question, but somebody wasn't paying attention or whatever. But questions are how we find out information. We pose a question. We're trying to gather information. I mentioned this on Sunday, but I find it fascinating that God asks questions because we know what God's attributes are. So what is God like? What are some of the attributes? We teach these in children's church. We teach them in Sunday school. When I'm going through our discipleship program, we're teaching people. We start out with theology. Who is God? What is he like? What are his attributes? So we've got several words, theological words, that we like to use to refer to God. And one of them is omnipotent. What does that mean? He is all-powerful. Well, have you ever like tried to back up what you believe with the Scripture? So here's your opportunity. How could you prove from the Scripture that God is all-powerful? Perfect verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And one of my favorite verses in that passage is, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. All God has to do is speak the words and material or energy or whatever can come into existence. He is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. What are some of his other attributes? He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at the same time. All right, why do you believe that, that God is everywhere at the same time? What would be a Bible reference you would use to teach people that God is omnipresent? Ooh, I see the gears are turning. What's that? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Uh, goes in that direction. It's a promise of his presence with us, that's for sure, okay? So that would, that would be a verse you could use for that. Psalm 139, that's the, the verse I had picked out, verse 7. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or where shall I flee from thy presence? If I go to the uttermost parts of the sea, it doesn't matter where I go, thou art there. So God is with us, at all times, I find this interesting, you were speaking on Jonah. What did Jonah leave to get that ticket to get on the ship to go do? He ran to flee from the presence of the Lord. The prophet of God who knew God, who knew better, was trying to escape the presence of God. So what a silly guy. Well, that's how we are. So what else is, is God? He's omnipotent, he's omnipresent, and he is omniscient, which means he knows everything. And there's a lot of scriptures you could look at about that. One of my favorites is in Luke chapter 5 and verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Boy, that had to have been a blessing. Could you imagine sitting across from somebody who is not just talking to you, but at the same time as you're talking and conversing with him, he knows exactly what you're thinking about? And in fact, he asks you questions based on the thoughts running through your head. That has to be a little bit unnerving. 
And I've asked myself, like, how would my behavior, how would my thought life change if I knew that the person sitting across from me knew exactly what I was thinking? But that's how God is. He's omniscient, but that also means he knows everything. There is nothing that God ever discovers where he says, oh, that's a neat piece of information. I need to write that down somewhere. He just knows it. He's omniscient. And that brings us back to square one, which is from time to time, God stops what he's doing and converses with us human beings and asks us questions. The first question we encounter in the Scripture that God asks, as far as I can tell, we find it in verse number 9 of Genesis chapter 3. And the Scripture says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? So now, God has come to the garden. He is seeking his new creation, Adam and Eve, the humans who have been created and placed in the garden, and he is wanting to enjoy some fellowship with the creatures he has created. And he comes to the garden knowing where they are, and he asks the question and he says, where art thou? Now here's my question. I answered it a little bit on Sunday already. Why did God ask this question. And I'm telling you, because we know God is omniscient, he didn't ask the question because he was trying to find out where Adam and Eve were. He already knew where they were. So why did God ask the question, where art thou? To give, to find out why they were disregarding him, okay? We want to dig a little deeper in that? To To engage them. I think that's, I didn't think of that word. That's a really good word. He is trying, I'm about to use the word provoke, but I don't mean it in a negative sense. But he is trying to provoke Adam and Eve to a response. God is not asking the question to gain information, but to offer Adam and Eve an opportunity to respond to him and to draw them to him. And I find it fascinating how they responded. At some point, they figured out, this is God, He's omnipotent, He's omniscient, and He's all-present, and we're not going to be able to stay hidden forever. So we heard the question, we may as well answer the question, where art thou? And what did they say in verse number 10? What did Adam say? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. The fact that Adam and Eve had sinned brought them to an unnatural place in their relationship with a God who was seeking fellowship with them. And that unnatural place was fear. Now, don't get me wrong, we ought to have a fear of God. This is not the fear that Adam and Eve are experiencing here, though. The fear is not necessarily of God. The fear is of their nakedness. And it's interesting, we won't take a long time. In fact, we're going to wrap this up in just a minute. But if you look at what Adam and Eve tried to do through their process of guilt and having sinned and understanding that they had sinned, they began dealing with the problems as they presented themselves, and they dealt with, first of all, their nakedness, which was not their main problem. Now, that was a problem later, and we understand God clothed them, but they did not get to the heart of the issue. Their sin and their guilt brought them to identify the wrong problem first, and that, draw, that drew them to a place of fear in their lives where the fellowship with God, was broken. 
And I want to just mention this this evening because sin drives us to do some very interesting things sometimes. Sin makes us act all sorts of weird. And if you've done any counseling, if you've spent time working with people, you'll find out guilt and sin and understanding what your sin has done in your life brings you to do some strange things sometimes. I want to just share a quick story about Keith as a kid. Is that okay? You want to hear what little Keith was like? First grade, I remember this story. There's not a lot of stories from first grade that I remember. But when I was in first grade, we had in our school a reading circle. And so the teacher, my first grade teacher was not just the first grade teacher. She was the second grade teacher, the third grade teacher, and the fourth grade teacher. So there were all four of us, one classroom. And so she had this rotation system. She was hyper-organized. She had it going on. I think there were 20 or 30 of us in there. But we were in our little reading circle area, and she would give us reading assignments. We had to go home, read our homework to our parents. Parents had to sign it off in our little book that we had read, and we would go back to school the next day and show Miss Teasdale that we had read our assignment. Well, wouldn't you know it, I was the kind of student that wasn't that good at keeping track of things. And so I tended a lot of times to f- forget my homework. And I had already gotten in trouble a couple of times for not getting my homework done, and I knew the next time I didn't get my reading assignment done, I was going to be in some hot water. And so one day it happened. She's going through the rows, checking notebooks, and I'm realizing I did not do my reading last night. And she's going to come look in my book for my parent's signature and try to figure out how I've done my homework. So me and my wise first grade self, you know what I did? I took my pen as good as I could because I didn't know cursive at that point. And I signed my dad's name in my notebook, Ernst Klaus, big scrawled black first grade block letters. And I remember Miss Teasdale coming through the row. She didn't bat an eye. She was just real smooth. She looked at my notebook. She said, Keith, did you do your reading last night? Yes, Miss Teasdale. Okay. And she kept going right down the row. And you know what? You know how we are as first graders? Like, ha, yes, pulled it off. Well, after she got to the end of the row, she just kept walking, walked right out of the classroom. I think we had a student teacher at the time. And she walked down, I guess, to the office and called my mom. And I got in the worst trouble I've ever gotten in after that. Because not only did I forget my homework, but I forged my parents' signature. Forged, if you can call it that. But sin makes us do really stupid things sometimes. And here are Adam and Eve in a place of broken fellowship with God. And God comes through the garden and he says, where art thou? And somebody mentioned it, I don't remember, but the whole point of this story is God coming to the place where the sinners were and attempting to renew fellowship with his creation. That's why God asks questions. God's purpose in asking questions is to renew fellowship with his creation. And I just wanted to encourage you with that a little bit. There's a lot more we could say about this story. There's a lot more we could say about human reaction to sin and guilt. But let me encourage you, when you go through the Scripture, keep an eye out for those questions that God leaves in the Scripture from time to time. They're there for a reason. They're not there so God can find out things about us. They're there for us to respond to Him. So let's just do that as we read the Scripture together. Let's close with a word of prayer, and then I'll turn it back over to Brother Thane, or will we be done then? All right, let's pray together. Our precious Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for your word. I'm thankful for the desire that you have in your heart 
to spend time with us. And Lord, we are vastly unworthy to spend time with the God of heaven who is omniscient, who is omnipotent, and who is omnipresent. But I'm so thankful that you and your providence do desire fellowship with us. And you've even sought to it to make us worthy through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that if there's one here today who's never trusted Christ as Savior, that you would move in their hearts. And for those of us who need a little bit of rejuvenation in our fellowship with you, I pray that you'd give, it, give us the opportunity and a desire to get back to the Scripture to get to know you better. And I'll ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.